Hello everyone, I'm Daniel Bryant and I'd like to welcome you to the Ambassador Living on the Edge podcast, the show that focuses on all things related to cloud native platforms, creating effective developer workflows and building modern APIs. Today I'm joined by Paris Apostolopoulos, a fellow Java developer and full stack engineer whom I know from the London tech scene. I've followed Paris's work for several years now and he always has a lot of interesting insight into how developers are adapting to what we're now calling the cloud native way of working. Paris has worked across a range of organizations from small to large companies so he's got lots of interesting experiences to draw from and I've particularly enjoyed learning about his thoughts on how enterprise organizations are adapting their ways and moving to the cloud. If you like what you hear today, I would definitely encourage you to pop over to our website at getambassador.io, where we have a range of articles, white papers, and videos that provide more information for engineers working with Kubernetes and the cloud. You can also find links there to our latest release, the Ambassador Edge Stack, the Open Source API Gateway, and our CNCF hosted telepresence tool too. Hello, Paris. Welcome to the show, and thanks for joining me today. Hello there. Hi. Uh, nice being here. Thank you for the invite. Could you briefly introduce yourself and your recent career highlights, please? Yes. So my name is Paris Apostolopoulos. I don't expect everyone to remember my surname. I'm from Greece. I've been working here in London for the past four years, almost five. I would describe myself as a software developer by heart that that eventually fell in love with operations. So today we're talking about developer experience and developer loops. So the capability to rapidly code, test, deploy, release, and verify software. Uh, I'm typically talking about web-based software, but happy to chat, you know, general software stuff. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to ask you, without naming any names, could you describe your worst developer experience or dev loop from code to production? Like many people out there, I've been doing this job for a long time. It's almost 20 years if, if I go back in my career and compare how I used to be a member of a software team and how we used to code, deploy and go into production, a very easy answer would be that I think that the old times were a very bad experience in a way, in mm-hmm. terms of like productivity, in, in terms of continuous integration, continuous deployment, this uh, very slow loop, this waterfall, let's say, way of, of doing things. So what do you think about your best developer loop? Can you explain and sort of or, or highlight perhaps some of the core capabilities that you really liked? You've already mentioned there like CI, CD. Yeah. Like there's a, can you pick out a few things which you think are really important to that fast feedback loop? In the past, we used to, uh, to live and work inside silos. I can see mm. that the things are changing now. And I, I think they're changing um, uh, in a very positive way for soft, for you know classical business developers or software engineers like me, where we have now the the opportunity to come closer to production. CI/CD is part of this process. It gives you the framework of actually you know software engineers coming closer to operations, and then we can uh, start uh, mm-hmm. t- talking about things like the cloud and eventually all these nice abstractions that na- na- now we have uh, available and how we enable us to eventually be more productive and be and be more reactive, let's say, in, uh, in delivering faster solutions. So you mentioned something very interesting there about sort of being close to production, being close to business. How important do you think it is for developers to understand business requirements to the point that they can actually take full responsibility, say, for you know taking an idea and actually seeing it through to observing business value? For me, this is like one of the the epiphanies I had in the last uh, four years. I was lucky enough eventually to join some companies that they were fully on board on that uh, vision. And for me, it was like it's one of the best things that happened for my career because it's it's like it's like seeing the light. I mean, once <laughs> yes. I once I was given the opportunity, obviously without being an exit, I was given the opportunity to come closer to production. I think I gradually started becoming a better developer. Mm. So it was the, the first time where actually I could totally relate 
And I could now see eventually how my flows as a developer, maybe my tech choices, maybe my style, maybe the, the libraries I pick or the frameworks, at some point, especially on, uh, let's say, systems that eventually they require a lot of love and attention and eventually they're public facing, how mm-hmm. eventually could affect the actual operation, the actual solution and uh, the features provided to the, the end customer. So slowly this uh, transformation started. And so the more developers eventually come closer to production, I think they increase their skills, they become better. It's not an easy path. Yes. It's not happening like, like that. But it's a journey that eventually I would be forever grateful. It, for, for me, it totally changed what my job would, would, would be, what, what I would do, and eventually how the impact of my job would be you know, to, to, you know, to, to customers of actually the solutions I was creating. Yeah, super. So I wouldn't mind to dive in a bit more to some of the operational things there you meant, Paris, because you and I think of a very similar careers from that perspective. Before that, though, I wanted to take a step back and look, say, at some of the architecture choices. I've seen you chatting on Twitter about microservices and things. How do you think this drive towards smaller, more modular architectures has affected the developer loop and the experience? Five or seven or eight uh, years ago, when this modular, let's say, approaches into eventually architecting systems start coming into play and eventually people started writing and started, started writing articles and eventually started preaching about it. I was, mm. you know, one of the many that was saying that this is unnecessary, you know, I've been spending two thirds of my career eventually, you know, on technologies or eventually on setups or eventually on architectures that they were not modular in a way. They were claiming that they were modular in their own respect. Maybe they, they had attempts of actually being modular internally. That's why we were discussing all about code modularity, especially I'm coming from the Java world. It's, it's, it's something that we're very, you know, it's a very famous topic within our community. Slowly though, and especially when you have the luck to work on, let's say, more high impact systems, rather than, let's say, small-scale applications that don't affect systems. I, I, I could gradually see as I was switching jobs and eventually I was switching co- companies how the practical approach of divided conquer it's actually the very, very core of this whole debate about uh, microservices. As I get older, I tend eventually to become a bit more grumpy in terms of... I think that in many cases, <laughs> our software solutions are not ideal. I mean... Many of us, we know the ideal state, yeah. but when you actually go into different places, you know, you, you see that, you, you know, you had to make compromises and you had to, you know, cut corners and you, because of different reasons and stuff like that. So for me, the adoption of microservices or a, let's say a modular architecture, or as I say, this divide and conquer is uh, mostly like an attempt actually to tame these mini chaoses that eventually mm-hmm. software projects can become to for different reasons, for good or, ba- or uh, bad reasons. So it's like a pragmatic, let's say, approach on solving or improving a, a solution. It's not the ultimate solution. You could have perfect microservices platforms or per- perfect monoliths, but mm-hmm. I think it's like, it's like a solution where we meet in the middle. We actually divide and conquer the, the problem into smaller problems. Sometimes we satisfy organizational needs. Sometimes we satisfy technical needs. But it's better to have smaller problems than one big that actually cannot move. <laughs> this is where yes. I'm coming from. And this is the, the, the hill I will die as <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, nice. I like it. So coming back to what you said earlier, which I thought was equally as interesting as your comments there, was it's important for developers to be operationally aware. As you get closer to production, you need to understand, am I writing functions? Am I deploying onto Kubernetes? All these kind of things. So 
how important do you think it is for developers to upskill and companies to allow them to upskill? That's a that's a, a very good question, and actually, it's one of the struggles nowadays that uh, I think a lot of engineers li- like me face in the in the current market. Obviously, outside of the market, you have different people with dif- different agendas. I mean, developers that they don't want to upscale, or eventually they want to upskill on certain areas, or they're not interested in the ops. I, I yes. belong. I, I belong to the uh, a group of people that they believe that, especially for. You know, this large community of the Java developers out there, it's one of the biggest developer communities out there, paving the way into modern infrastructure, whatever that means, is actually one really interesting way of actually upskilling and keeping up up to date. I consider that uh, even for younger developers, it's a must. Like, Mm. you you cannot stay, you know, um, in your comfort zone. And especially for Java developers that we are now getting old, it's a a wave of fresh air that actually gives you the opportunity eventually to to do new stuff and eventually learn new stuff. But at the same Mm. time, be more effective because this is Mm. all about, it's not about learning, assigning new technology just for the sake of it. Yes. It's actually bridging your skills and actually to to deliver better solutions. Some organizations Mm -hmm. are already on board. Yeah. Some some others they claim to be, but they're not. Some others they 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 like to have their silos again. I think things are are, are changing rapidly, and uh, the more the cloud providers keep pushing services and eventually solutions, the, the more this wave is going to become stronger and stronger, and eventually most of the organizations will try to get aligned with the, the new trend. How much? Do you think cloud native technologies and platforms have impacted the dev loop? I'm thinking things like Kubernetes. You know, I've got to create a container now, put my Java app in a container, ship the container to Kubernetes. What's your thoughts on how that's affected your developer experience? I I experienced this transformation gradually, as I think every developer out out there. Some years ago, somebody gifted us things like Docker, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously experienced sysadmin people will say that eventually all these tools were already available, but obviously they were not available for the, let's say, the masses of developers out there, or they didn't have the skills or the knowledge, or they were not easy to use, whatever it is. So we we started using these technologies like Docker and stuff like that, but there was always something missing, if, if, if you ask me. And especially since I've spent a lot of years working with things like application services, you know, enterprise architectures and uh, things like that. It seems that eventually the uh, the jump that we, we had to, to do from this application servers architecture eventually to smaller services and uh, Docker and stuff like that, something was missing. And the, the, the birth of things like Kubernetes and eventually other cloud-native, mm-hmm. let's say, solutions, not only Kubernetes, I mean, we can see other cloud providers eventually they are uh, offering similar solutions now on top of their already existing services. Kubernetes answered most of the basic, let's say, operational needs mm. that uh, we had in mind and uh, reduced the friction and actually the time to production for mainly developer-centric teams. And actually, I think it, it started to break in on the silos, the silos of like, okay, mm. you're the developer, you just only write code, someone else pushes it to production and someone else maintains it. Yes. So suddenly we, we had a framework that actually gave us an entry to this world and obviously, we had to up, up, upskill, right? That's, there's no doubt. 
And so you touched there sort of on, it gave, Kubernetes kind of gave enough primitives to solve a lot of the problems. Obviously, you know my background, I'm very much interested in, say, API gateways, service meshes, managing traffic. How important do you think it is for developers to understand and control traffic, both at the ingress point, say the gateway, and also service to service? Is that more of a dev responsibility, more of an ops responsibility? What do you think? So in my book, developers should upskill and eventually become better ops without saying that we don't need specialists. Yes. In my book, as a developer, the more you know about everything, about your system, your solution from top to bottom, from the edge, the the database or the mainframe, the better. If uh, this can be, let's say, uh, a combination of different people and different skills in the same team, that's that's fine as well. If it's only a dev team or whatever, that's, that, that's fine. It's like you need to know, you need to have the knowledge that answers your, your your question. Yeah, definitely. Because you also played around with the Ambassador API Gateway. That's how I bumped into you, I think, on Twitter and so forth. What do you think was good around Ambassador that enabled you to, to do something perhaps you couldn't before? So I have to go back a bit before eventually jumping into things like Ambassador because we, we, we talked a bit about Kubernetes and eventually lot of, lots of developers will have the same journey like me. The journey is not like, it's not easy. It was painful. Uh, you know, it had a lot of challenges. You had to upskill. You had eventually to accumulate a lot of uh, complexity. You have to tame the beast. And yeah. there's, you know, there's one thing saying on Twitter or eventually a blog post, yes, I'm using Kubernetes, you know, for my personal project and another thing like using Kubernetes in production. Yeah. So there are different phases that eventually you have to go through using Kubernetes. And one of them, let's go back now to uh, ingresses and stuff like that. It's like mm-hmm. how eventually you welcome all this traffic inside this, uh, inside your clusters, you know, from, mm-hmm. from the outer world. For me, the, the journey with ingresses and Kubernetes eventually started very early because I was working on a public API project. Mm-hmm. So the API was like a set of services deployed on Kubernetes stateless, that's fine. But always, you know, you, you had this kind of, let's say, concern, all right, what about this pipe that actually ingresses all these uh, mm-hmm. requests in, inside my cluster? And it was not an easy journey, to be honest, because like many people out there, we started classic load balancers, no, no, we, we started making the same mistake, like each service has its own load balance, and then we figured out that this was not sustainable, then we had security concerns, then we had uh, different other different other things, that, but we had to some kind of discover them as we were working, because mm-hmm. they were not like always best practices there. So here comes the, like, uh, here he, he we end up on eventually taking uh, ingresses, and I uh, I have to be honest, Ingresses is like my least favorite, let's say, specification <laughs> or part of, of Kubernetes, especially yeah. the way some of them, I mean, it's not like a blame, but I think it's like it tries to do a lot, uh, at the same mm. time simplify a lot, but then mm. you have to um, obey on the restrictions of each cloud provider, and then you end up with default Ingresses that they are, you know, they have different, let's say, uh, behavior, and this is yeah. what always troubled me a lot. In the end, when you became, let's say, very experienced and you, you actually knew what your needs were from your ingress, let's say, uh, battle, at some mm-hmm. point you were figuring out that, you know, ingresses, you know, the standard Kubernetes ingresses were not enough. So you, you always had to go through this journey, yeah. okay, what else is available? Makes sense. And that's how you ended up at Ambassador and playing around with that. Yes. So... At the time, I think many people had the same choice. You know, you had to play around with other, you know, become an expert on Nginx or uh, something else or uh, yeah. uh, or Trific or whatever it is. And what I really liked with Ambassador, it's like it was like something that 
Obviously, I had previous experience with ingresses on Kubernetes, but eventually it answered all my questions immediately. Mm. And it provided uh, a very low entry barrier, as we say, you know, in actually to put it and, uh, and use it and in terms of like configuring it and, uh, you know, um, pushing it in, into production or in, in, into other uh, environments. So this is what I really liked. And that's, that's why I, I, I picked, let's say, uh, this type of ingress uh, compared to, to what was already, let's say, offered by the, the framework Kubernetes. Now I'm with you, Paris. No, great, very interesting, very interesting. So we're coming to the end now. I wanted to ask you, what do you think the future of developer experience is going to look like? Because we've sort of got we've got monoliths, like you say, that they're getting a pushback now. We've got microservices, we've got functions, we've got Kubernetes, we've got cloud. Where do you think we're heading to as an industry? What might you think a developer experience will look like in, say, three years' time? What I'm seeing is we're working a new era of development where actually cloud providers with all this nice features and eventually all these abstractions that they're slowly hiding and eventually the operational concern, you know, mm-hmm. they're abstracting. And I think we're working through this era where actually developers will become, let's say, I don't know if they're going to become ops in a way, but they will become, let's say, cloud experts in a way, cloud, mm. spec- cloud provider experts in a way, and will start building more and more stuff on top of these platforms. Some might argue, is it good or bad? But currently, I think this is where we are heading to. To be honest, for someone, like for a developer like me, that we were like truly isolated in the past of actually, you know, one ID and, you know, one version control system and that's just pushing code without having any chance of actually touching production. This new future is something like very challenging for me. In terms of like, economies of scale and eventually if if it's sustainable or not, moving now into cloud provider specific solutions. I don't know, but things are getting there. And I've seen eventually easier is when you actually use managed services and you combine different parts that you don't have to worry of actually, you know, running on your own 100%, how it's easier actually, how the time to production gets shorter and shorter. Yes. Obviously, it's each system. It uh, has its own requirement and, you know, and there's no one... Uh, one fit them all solution, but I think for the eighty percent of cases out there, this is where we're headed. Uh, is it going to be something like uh, serverless or Kubernetes or whatever it is? I, I always thought that most probably Kubernetes paved the way. I, I will see Kubernetes. I can see Kubernetes actually being fading away. Many people talk about it, like mm. becoming like a framework, and then other people eventually start building things on top of it. Is it going to be serverless or something? Some, some something else? I don't know. We'll have to see. Very interesting, Well, really appreciate your time today. Thanks very much. Thank you very much.